I want you to take as my text this morning that reading from the Revelation of John, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. And so if you have a, a Bible or a New Testament uh, handy, I want to encourage you to turn to uh, Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. Um, uh, Revelation is the very last uh, uh, book in the Bible, so it shouldn't be too terribly hard uh, to find it. Just start from the back and go forward just a bit. Um, but uh, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17, and I want to read that again uh, so it's fresh in our minds. Revelation 7, and beginning at verse 9. And after this, I, John, looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And then one of the elders addressed me, saying, and who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And therefore they are before the throne of God, serving him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This morning, I, 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 I've titled my talk this morning, <clears throat> Where Faithfulness where faithfulness leads. Where faithfulness leads. Stephen Covey, in his famous book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, in that book, the seventh habit is keep the end in mind. That is, where do you want to go? And, and, and what do you want the end to be? And then after figuring that out, the question is naturally, and what do you need to do uh, to get there? And that, by the way, is how faithfulness works. Now, truth be told, some uh, Christians count uh, faithfulness to God and, and remaining faithful uh, as a sort of a, a, a burden uh, and, and a, a sacrifice, in many instances, maybe uh, too big. But I think that they would think a great deal differently about it uh, if they would just keep the end in mind, the end of faithfulness or where faithfulness leads. In which case, I think they might uh, come to think of faithfulness to God more uh, a joyful privilege rather than an onerous duty. Anyway, in our text, John mentions at least two things unto which faithfulness leads. And, and the first is a victory with God, that faithfulness leads to victory with God. Indeed, notice again, verses 9 and 10 and what, 13 and 14. 
And John, of course, the, the, the book of Revelation is, the name of the book is the Revelation of Jesus Christ, which Jesus gave to his servant John. And so what John is seeing is what Jesus is revealing to him of things that yet to come. And, and John says, and after this, I looked and behold a multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes of peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb that is Jesus clothed and them clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice salvation salvation our salvation belongs to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb and in verse 13 and one of these elders that is in fact there's 24 elders mentioned in the book of revelation uh, probably a reference uh, to the people of god under the uh, old covenant and the new the 12 patriarchs of israel and then the 12 apostles apostles of jesus christ 12 plus 12 equal 24 and one of the elders addressed me saying and who are these clothed in white robes and and from and from where have they come and john said to him sir you know he doesn't know the answer to the question and this elder said to him these are the ones coming out of great tribulation great trouble persecution these are the ones coming out of great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb very interesting john says that faithfulness leads to victory with god and notice and that regardless of national or ethnic background notice that and and peoples a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white etc indeed the church of jesus christ is a very international phenomenon i don't know if we think about this very often but it is, it's not just an American thing or a European thing or a Western thing, and sometimes it's accused of being, but so wrongly so. Uh, rather, it's a truly worldwide phenomenon. In fact, um, Thomas Ogden in his book, uh, The Rebirth of Orthodoxy, wrote something very interesting. He, he wrote this, he said, English, German, and French, indeed the languages of what we now call European, were actually very late arrivals to the classic Christian ecumenical tradition, that is, from the beginning of Christianity until its present day. They were actually late. Uh, he, he says, uh, little, uh, little Christian teaching exists in these languages prior to the 16th century. In fact, uh, 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 an unknown, he says, an unknown or forgotten uh, fact uh, that that Christianity is intrinsically Western, and his point is it absolutely is not. The West came last. He goes on, indeed, Christianity did without Russian and French for about half of, of the church's history, and without English, German, and Spanish for almost two-thirds of its history. And even today, there are, in fact, more Christians in China than there are in the whole of the United States more presbyterians in ghana in the country of ghana in west africa than there are presbyterians in scotland and more baptists in india than there are in all of the southern states of the united states combined and what is true on earth today 
is also true in heaven and will also be true in the kingdom on earth yet to come. And, and John says that the, these faithful persons who will experience victory with God won't be disappointed. This is very much something to keep in mind when you're wondering, uh, uh, wondering yourself whether faithfulness is really worth it. They won't be disappointed. Indeed, uh, victory with God will be an experience of ultimate consummation. Ultimate consummation. Uh, he describes them. He says that the, that the faithful are robed in white in heaven, in God's presence. A sign, by the way, of white robes mentioned uh, throughout the book of Revelation is a, a sign of their faithfulness to God. In fact, in uh, chapter three and verse five, we read, and those who are faithful will be clothed in white garments. And then also a sign of their redemption. Indeed, notice again, verse 14. Uh, verse 13 and 14, and one of the elders addressed me, that is John, saying, and who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And the elder speaking to him said, uh, sir, uh, or excuse me, John said, sir, you know, you know, you tell me. And the elder said to John, and the, these are the ones coming out of great tribulation, uh, the, great persecution because of what? Their faithfulness. In fact, John is writing in the in the first century to a persecuted church. Uh, churches, in fact, seven of them in, in uh, what was then known as the western part of the Roman province of Asia Minor, what we would now know as, as uh, Western Turkey. Uh, but they were under great persecution. And if written, if this was written and the, the scenes here described of the latter part of, of, of Nero, uh, the Roman emperor Nero's reign, uh, he persecuted them terribly. Uh, and there, the, the Christian faith itself was considered to be seditious at its very core because we say that Jesus is Lord, which was a, was a title uh, reserved completely and exclusively for the Roman emperor. Only the emperor was Lord. And yet at the heart of our gospel, we say that Jesus is Lord. And people were um, under compulsion to burn incense to the emperor, which Christians refused to do. They said, we're the best, we're the best citizens that you, that you have in the empire. We're good and hardworking, we're honest, uh, but we cannot worship the emperor as God because only our God is the true God. And so they were persecuted for it. He says, these are the ones coming out of great tribulation. By the way, they died. <laughs> they overcame by staying true and it resulted in their death. And now they're seen in heaven. These are the ones coming out of great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. A little, a, a bit of a, uh, uh, a bit of a, a, a irony there that the that their their lives or their their robes are washed white in the blood of the lamb speaking of the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ and so they're robed in white and, and then and then John says and they have palm branches in their hands sounds rather like palm sunday doesn't it and of course the, the palms are a, a sign of peace and joy and victory it's something that was being duked out and fought as it has come to a completion and there's victory, notwithstanding all the trouble that they went through to get there. 
Notice that again. And I saw a, a great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and nation and, uh, and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with great joy, with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This whole idea of coming through great tribulation and, and finding on the other end of it, this great relief, this great victory with God. And I say with God, uh, because God is there. They're before his throne with God. Reminded me of Paul's writing to the Romans in chapter 8 and beginning at verse 35. He says, and he asks this rhetorical question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, the very, th very th first thing that's mentioned is tribulation. Shall tribulation separate us from our Lord? Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He says, and as it is written, for God's sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He says, and here's his conclusion. Verse 37, no, and all these things, what things? Tribulations, persecutions, distresses, and all of these troubles. In all of these, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Speech of victory. <laughs> victory. And so John says that uh, victory with God uh, will be a, an experience of, of great rejoicing. Uh, indeed, uh, those who experience uh, uh, victory with with God will. You know, you remember uh, Pascal said that in in the side inside of each person is a God shaped hole. Uh, it will be it will be a full consummation of everything they've ever wanted. I, I was just praying the other night as I was going to sleep. The frustration. Uh, 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 of the Christian life, wanting so much more of God. And there's so many things that distract and, and so many difficulties and so forth. But here, when, the, when, when, when all the troubles are o'er and, we, and we, we are ushered into his presence, that God-shaped hole that even the best of us only ever have partially filled will find it fully filled and great will be the rejoicing of those who experience it, even as I've been quoting David Taylor rather uh, a lot recently, and from his his great book, um, "Open and Unafraid," is how to uh, the the Psalms as a guide for life. He said to be he says to be full of God is to be full of joy. To be full of God is to be full of joy. I, I was on uh, a bit of a retreat this uh, last week at uh, Camp Allen. It was a clergy gathered all what uh, um, uh, quarantined together. A lot of social distancing. Usually we have a usually we have a conference with speakers and so forth, and all of that had to be canceled. Uh, but we did have meals together, and the table, the chairs around the tables were a great deal fewer than than usual, and so on. But I, I use it as a, an opportunity, and I and I I picked up a book that I have read bits and pieces of in the past, but I thought I would just read the whole thing. That is Brother Lawrence's The Practice of the Presence of God. And I, I just scratched something down. When he was on his deathbed, he, uh, Brother Lawrence was asked by a friend, and, and he said, to, uh, Brother Lawrence, wh wh what are you thinking about? And this is what he said from his deathbed, and he just he died two days later. He said, I'm doing what I shall be doing throughout all eternity, 
I love that. I am, I am doing now what I shall be doing throughout all eternity. I am blessing God, praising God, adoring God, and loving him with all my heart. Shane Claiborne in his book, famous, uh, Irresistible uh, Revolution, famously, famous, famously said, in the kingdom, we will party like there's no tomorrow. And there won't be because it will go on and on and on. And so that's the first thing. Faithfulness leads to victory with God. And then secondly, faithful, John says faithfulness leads to deliverance with God. Deliverance with God. Indeed, um, uh, notice of verses of, uh, 15 through 17. And it says, and therefore they are before the throne of God. And they serve him day and night in his temple. Day and night is just a metaphor for a nonstop, continually. In fact, if you don't like worshiping God now, you're not going to like heaven. And perhaps God can accommodate you. Therefore, he says, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. And they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, and the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So John has been saying the whole whole book of Revelation tells us uh, about how costly faithfulness is. In fact, this is all throughout the New Testament. To be, to, to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, it, 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 it won't be easy. It'll be worth it, <laughs> but it won't be easy. In fact, uh, this is stated many times. I just thought of one and scratched it down. Acts chapter 14 and verse 22, where Paul says through to one of the churches to where he was ministering, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, which is the, how do we enter the kingdom of God? Paul says through many tribulations. And as I mentioned, John is writing to a, a persecuted church. Uh, and we mustn't think of this as a, uh, as a particularly strange thing. In fact, D.A. Carson, in his commentary uh, on St. Matthew's Gospel, wrote, he said, opposition is a normal mark of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're, and Paul, I mean, you, there's so many. Another one that just popped into my head, uh, uh, Paul writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter three, all those who would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution or some sort of opposition. People who don't appreciate it will give you a hard time. Uh, and in some cases and different places around the world, a harder time than others. Jesus himself and I are reading what from Matthew's gospel, chapter five, the blessings are the beatitudes. And very interesting, the last one has to do with persecution. And he says that such is a blessing. Why? Because enduring such things is characteristic of those to whom the kingdom belongs. Notice again what he said in Matthew five, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness sake, for doing the gospel thing, for doing the godly thing, doing the right thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Heaven, the kingdom of heaven, heaven and the kingdom yet to come belongs to them. 
Jesus continues, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Tell lies against you. He says, on my account. He says, rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad in the midst of the tribulation. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Rejoice and be glad. Be faithful. Remain faithful. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so faithfulness is costly. But but the cost of faithfulness doesn't last forever. In fact, I think that I think this is what, what, what the point of this passage, as is that is the overarching meta narrative, if you like, of, of the book of Revelation. And that is uh, as uh, as all apocalyptic literature is the, the, the point and the message always is this. Stay faithful, stay faithful to God because God wins in the end. And if you're with God, you win, too. And so the so the cost the cost of faithfulness uh, doesn't last forever. And indeed, John says that God will deliver the faithful from all of their trouble. In particular, John says that uh, God will make His abode with them. Notice again, verse fifteen. And therefore, they are before the throne of God. They're in God's presence. <laughs> Isn't it extraordinary? I mean, we worship in every worship service I have ever been. Hopefully God's presence was there, but I couldn't see him. I couldn't see the son. I couldn't see Christ, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, seated in the midst of the throne. But we shall see him. And then he says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple that is in the place where worship takes place and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence literally in the greek it says he will put, he put his tabernacle or the, the 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 sign of 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 his his abode where he where he abides he will put that over them so that they all abide in that place together and so he will make his abode with the faithful. And then John says, and he will meet all of their needs. Uh, God will feed the hungry. Uh, God will give drink to the thirsty. I, and I thought about this. You know, John wrote this on the Isle of Patmos in the, in the Aegean a Sea. Uh, and um, uh, he had been exiled there by the, by the Roman uh, uh, Empire, by the Roman government, because he wouldn't stop talking. So they put him on this desolate island. And so uh, they drop him off on the beach there and good luck to you. And so where does he find fresh water and where does he find something to eat? Where does he find shelter? I think that probably what the what the elder uh, who's speaking to him, this uh, he heavenly personality speaking to John while he's there on earth, seeing this vision on the Isle of Patmos, that these things weren't just for John to take and share with somebody else, but that John was was being encouraged by them and filled with hope by them too. Verse 16, and they shall, they shall hunger no more and neither shall they thirst anymore. And, and, then, and then what? Deliverance from the elements. Uh, uh, and um, uh, and the sun shall not strike them, 
nor any scorching heat. And then John says, and, and then uh, God will uh, comfort them. Notice verse 17. And the lamb in the midst of the throne, that's Jesus, will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. John says that the lamb will be their shepherd. I don't know if you noticed that. How ironic, right? That the shepherd is a lamb? <laughs> shepherds, are, shepherds are meant to be people who, who lead sheep. But this is a shepherd who is himself a lamb. Uh, whom John the Baptist pointed out as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world will be shepherd to the faithful. And he will lead them, John says, and that to springs of living water. You know, you and I, we go, and every day, whenever, we're, whenever we're thirsty, we go uh, into the kitchen and we get water. Uh, and uh, some of us, we've got refrigerators where we push this button and we get ice and push this button and we get uh, get water and it's been through a double osmosis system or whatever that whatever that system is <laughs> and, and on and on in the ancient world and in many places still all around the world fresh water isn't always so easy to come by as is food not always so easy to come by they don't just drop drop by to the heb and pick up what they want and uh, the ice cream and all the other things and the chips and all the other things that I like to eat. It's not that easy. But he will provide all of these things. And then John says, and a quote, uh, a quote from Isaiah 25, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. These are people who have, have wept. Their hearts have been broken. People who have poured themselves out to be uh, to, to minister to others and to share the share the Jesus who had transformed their lives. And some people are indifferent and others persecuting them for it. And going without drink and going without food and maybe ostracized from the community and finding themselves homeless and no shelter. And so the sun beats down on them and so on. And so God will, in the end, wipe away all tears. Do you know how close you have to get to wipe away somebody's tears? At least within arm's reach. That's pretty close. And can you imagine him reaching out and wiping away your tears and him looking into your eyes and you looking into his, his. Jesus, or excuse me, Paul talking what in the first Corinthians chapter 13 about how now we see how now we see through a through a mirror darkly. But then face to face. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, wrote, heaven is not a place of questions, but a place of answers. I, and sometimes that's the cause for tears. Why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? And in heaven, you'll get your answers. Heaven is not a place of questions, but a place of answers. And you will see the face of God. You can ask him yourself and look into his eyes. And he will give you an answer 
that will satisfy you like no answer you've ever been given. And this same gospel that, that was assigned for today from Matthew 5 in the, the great sermon on the mount, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. What? For they shall see God. Or in Revelation, the same idea is rep uh, repeated again in verse 21 and verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. No more death. And neither shall there be any mourning. The loss of loved ones, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. What does that mean? The former things have passed. I think when we go to the 65th chapter of Isaiah, verse 17, where that, that thought is taken a little bit farther for us. In, in Isaiah 65, in verse 17, and God says, Behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things. That in the book of Revelation, the former things have passed away. He says, the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And so God will not only wipe away the tears, but he will wipe away the memory of everything that ever caused. And such is where faithfulness leads. Someone has written that optimism is the belief that things will always get better. But hope is the confident expectation that no matter what happens in the end, good will prevail and God's purpose will be fulfilled. And that's the message of the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. And that's the message that you and I are hearing this morning. And so don't give up. No matter how challenging it might be to be faithful, keep on keeping on. Because faithfulness leads to ultimate victory with God. And if, you're, if you are faithful, when that day comes, I guarantee you will not be disappointed. And so how about you? Faithfulness will be one of the things that Jesus will be looking for in us on the final day of judgment. In fact, he'll be looking for two things, and I think you're familiar with him. He will say to some people, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And to others, he will say, depart from me, because I don't know who you are. Wesley Hill, in his book, Washed and Waiting, wrote this, he said, one of the hardest to swallow, most countercultural, counterintuitive implications of the gospel is that bearing up under a, under a challenge with patience and perseverance is actually a good thing. Listen to what he said. One of the hardest to swallow and most countercultural, counterintuitive implications of the gospel is that bearing up under a challenge with patience and perseverance is actually a good thing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Being faithful is a good thing. Indeed, the, uh, indeed uh, uh, up, bearing up under a challenge with patience and perseverance is exactly what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is patient and persevering and dependable. 
I wonder, can God depend on you to be faithful where faithfulness leads? Let us pray. It's an extraordinary thing to think. I think that uh, not infrequently we pity the persecuted. Richard Wormbrand, who was persecuted for all those many years, had told us not to pity the persecuted church. <laughs> I think what we've been talking about today has something to do with that. Don't pity the, those who are conquering. Don't pity those who are enduring. Don't pity those who are faithful. Their reward will be great in heaven and the kingdom belongs to such as these. Lord, in this pampered society in which we work and, and live, and, and sometimes we'll even remind each other uh, when we're being petty or we're complaining about, about something so small, like you didn't get the sodas I wanted or some other thing that's a sign of our affluence and how much we take for granted. Um, that, 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 that these are first world kinds of problems. When Jesus said that it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, to enter the kingdom of God, I think it maybe has something to do with this. This sense of self-sufficiency and this focusing on material things and not being willing to sacrifice very much, not sacrifice anything that would make any kind of difference in our lives, to be faithful. But for those who do, Lord, the kingdom belongs to such as these. Oh, Lord God, may we be counted in their number, not through faithlessness, not through selfishness, but through self-denial, through self-emptying, to where we get to the place where Paul says, it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me, to be accounted among them, to be of a pure heart, for the pure in heart are blessed because they shall see you. Let these things sink into our hearts today, Lord, and make a radical change in the way that we think and we live. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.